Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Vet John Mee joins us to give practical tips for calving to maximise health and welfare of the cow and the calf. And first, John quantifies calving difficulty recorded on Irish dairy farms for cows and heifers. In Ireland, we record calving problems into four categories, normal, assisted, difficult, and then C-section. And then we divide those down into whether it's a heifer or a cow. And for this morning, I'll just discuss dairy heifers and cows. So in dairy heifers in Ireland, about a quarter to a third are assisted at calving. Doesn't mean difficult, just assisted. And between five and 10% of dairy heifers have difficult calvings. So that's essentially where a farmer deemed that it was necessary to assist the heifer at calving or, or the vet was called. If we compare that with cows, it's lower. So between 15 and 20% of cows would be assisted at calving and about 5% or less of cows would have difficult calvings. So assistance much higher than difficult calving, assistance and difficult much higher in heifers than in cows. And if we compare ourselves internationally, we're at the lower end of the range. So lower than us would be countries, for example, perhaps like New Zealand or Norway, higher than us would be countries, for example, like North American countries. So we're at the lower end of the range. And if we look over time, over the last 20 years, the trend has been in Ireland, in particularly heifers, but also to a degree in cows, that calving difficulty is decreasing. So it's becoming less of a problem. But all of what I've said there is at a national level, but obviously we farm at a herd level and within herd level, there can obviously be farms that have much higher or much lower calving difficulty than the rates I've just quoted. And they're the important figures, the farm level figures. And looking then, John, like, I mean, you talk, there's a huge range across farms. Um, and, and, you know, when, when farmers are listening today, they're thinking about their own circumstances. But what would you see as the main factors that lead to calving difficulty on farm? Yeah, very good question. <clears throat> and farms vary hugely in this because the key factor that differs between farms is the management. So the key management factors would be um, if we divide again into heifers and cows. So in heifers, the primary cause of the difficult calving is the calf is too big or the heifer is too small or both. Whereas in older cows, it tends to be the calf may be malpresented or the cow is unable to push the calf out, for example, with milk fever. So if we look just at the heifers, the key management differences are the age at first calving. So the heifer is too small when she calves first or her body condition. She's too fat when she calves first. And this obviously goes back to her body condition, her weight and her age at AI. So that's what's described as a modifiable risk factor. The farmer can do something about that. Also, for example, in the older cow, I mentioned milk fever. So uterine inertia, where the uterus just doesn't push enough at calving, again, is a management issue. The farmer can manage their dry cows so that they have a less likelihood of cows having subclinical milk fever at calving. Other management factors include the stress that occurs at calving through poor supervision and the skills at calving. 
So in Moorpark, we teach through the dairy business degree and the professional diploma in dairy farm management, the key skills on how to calve a cow. And sometimes these basic skills can be overlooked in their importance in how to get an easy calving compared to a difficult calving. And then if we move slightly aside from management, there's a huge area obviously of genetics. There are many cow factors, for example, the fact that first lactation cows will have more difficult calving than older cows. There are calf factors. So we know that male calves are more likely to have a difficult calving than females, twins also. And then there are environmental factors. So for example, we know in the winter, in the autumn, you're more likely to have difficult calving. So numerous factors that some of which are modifiable, the farmer can do something about them. So for example, there are the genetics, the sire they choose is a modifiable risk factor causing difficult calving. And then there are non-modifiable factors. So in general, a farmer cannot change whether an animal is carrying twins or has a male calf. So they're non-modifiable. So the focus for the farmer is on the modifiable risk factors of which I've listed. I like the way you say that, John, and it very much puts a lot of what happens around calving in the farmer's control. But it is, I guess, what happens on the farm every day of the year, not just the day or two when the cow is preparing herself for calving. I mean, looking then, I suppose, specifically to genetics, because I guess if we consider the EBI, um, you know, calving makes up quite a a proportion of that at, at roughly 10%. Um, you know, what is included in that 10% or in, in the EBI in terms of that calving figure that we see when we're selecting bulls and we, um, I suppose, assess where our cows are at with their EBI figure? Yeah, in, Ar- in Ireland, we have a trait emphasis for the calving sub-index of approximately 10%, which means that economically it's worth taking 10% out of the drive for better fertility, out of the drive for higher milk production, and into the drive for lowing calving problems, because economically that's viable in Ireland. In other countries internationally, that may be much lower or much higher, depending on the economics. So back in 2005, we introduced calving into the sub-index, and it now has four components, and they are in order of importance. The length of the gestation, the direct effect of the sire on calving difficulty, the effect of the dam, the maternal effect on calving difficulty, and then calf mortality. So so the calving sub-index is both the calving problems, gestation length, and calf mortality. And if we break those down, as you said, there's 10% devoted to calving. Of that 10%, about 4.5% is associated with gestation length. So, And the reason for that is that one day shorter in gestation length increases profit per lactation by about five to 10 euros, about seven euros, all other things being equal. So economically, shorter gestation length increases profit. That's why there's emphasis in the sub-index. And then the next part of the index is the direct effect of the sire. So gestation length is about four and a half percent. The sire is about three and a half percent. The maternal effect is about one and a half percent. And direct calf mortality is about half percent. So that's how we divide up the 10%. And that will vary over time. In the future, that will be different to what it is today. But that's where we stand today. And, and you, you mentioned there's an economic drive, um, you know, to putting calving in, in the breeding index. 
if we consider calving difficulty, you know, often you see that the the calf is weak to suckle for a day or two or the cow might might be you know i suppose under pressure and 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 not as active in the day or two after calving you know can you um i suppose quantify um the effects and the consequences of a difficult calving on both the cow and the calf yes if we look at purely the economics if we break down the cost of a cow having a difficult calving 40% 40% of that cost is associated with the fact that she milk less well than if she didn't have a difficult calving. About a third of that cost is associated with the fact that she's less likely to go back in calf as quickly as she would. And about a quarter of that cost is associated with the fact that she's at risk of dying herself and her calf also. So that's the pure euro cost associated with difficult calving. So then if we looked at the, 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 the consequences, the direct consequence is the easy one for the farmer to see. So that's the lethal or non-lethal trauma. So the non-lethal trauma might be that a calf has a broken leg due to a calving jack fracture, or it doesn't have any fracture, but as you said, the calf is slower to stand after a difficult calving, and we all know that. If it's slower to stand and you're not there, it'll be slower to suck. And even if it does suck, it'll suck less. And even what it does suck will have a lower absorption ability in the colostrum. So calves that go through a difficult calving suck less, suck later and absorb less antibodies if you're not there to tube them. So real risks associated with even non-lethal trauma. And then the lethal trauma is fairly obvious. We have a, a post-mortem laboratory outside in Moor Park. We examine calves from dairy farms every year. And 10 to 20% of the calves that die around calving have fractured ribs. So fractured ribs are much more common than the common calving jack fracture that farmers are familiar with. And these are not diagnosed, difficult to diagnose. So, so, So lethal trauma at calving. If we then move away from the direct and obvious causes and consequences to the indirect consequences, and they are, as I've mentioned, reduced milk yield, up to 200 kilos lower milk yield for for lactation after dystochia associated with difficulty. There could be up to a a 5 percentage point lower for service conception rate and an increased risk of cow mortality. So there's direct effects on the cow. And on the calf, perhaps surprisingly, calves that survive a difficult calving don't uh, grow as well they have more risk of respiratory disease, more likely to get scour, more likely to die subsequently, and less likely to survive in the herd in the long term. So consequences of a difficult calving in February of 2021 on a heifer calf that might be in the herd in 2023. So much longer term consequences than we might ever think about directly due to just difficult calving. And if we move forward then, John, and consider, you know, the people listening today have a varied level of experience. Some people are very early in their careers and have completed few calving seasons and have little experience. And then we have some more seasoned campaigners who have, you know, calved a lot of cows or, you know, observed a lot of cows calving in their time. If we just, I suppose, pull it back to the the basics of calving, um, you know, I've seen in the past that you've identified the stages of calving. Could you reiterate those for us and, and explain the process that's occurring within the cow as she moves to expel the calf? Yeah, it's a really good point because today, 
particularly with large and expanding herds, we don't have the time to stop and watch. So the basics of calving can be lost on people who are too busy. So if we break it down into the simple three stages, there are three stages to calving. The first stage is the preparatory stage. This is when the cow is preparing to push the calf out. So this takes on average about six hours, but, but highly variable. Could be two hours, could be 12 hours, very variable. So what's happening inside in the cow is that the uterus is contracting and the calf is moving up into its normal position for birth. So the calf doesn't spend nine months lying in the birth canal. The change in movement occurs in the 12 to 24 hours pre-calving. And also in this time, the cervix begins to relax, the ring that holds the calf in the uterus. And what you as a farmer see on the outside is the cow knows this is happening. So she tries to isolate herself from the main herd so that she can calve in seclusion. Because this contraction is painful, she tends to put her tail up and she swishes her tail about and she becomes restless. She stands up, she lies down. She shows all the signs of pain and that's coming from the uterine contractions mainly. So that's stage one of calving. There's no sign of a calf on the outside at that stage. Stage two then is when the cow is actively calving. And this averages again, roughly about an hour, but again can vary from 15 minutes up to four hours and even more. So what's happening inside in the cow during this stage is not only is the uterus contracting, but the abdominal muscles are contracting. The cervix is now open and the calf is passed up into the birth canal. And what you see externally then as a farmer is you see that the cow now begins to lie down much more as the abdominal muscle contractions occur. You see the forcing of the cow and eventually you'll see the first or the second water bag or the croobs, the front croobs or the hind croobs of the calf appear at the vulva. And that's called stage two of calving. That's what people would generally describe as the cow is calving, whereas stage one might be described as the cow is sick to calve in simple terms. And then stage three, often forgotten about, is the calving isn't complete until the placenta is passed. So this averages about six hours after calving, we'd expect to see the placenta pass, but again, can go up to 12 hours quite normally. And at this stage, what's happening inside is the uterus is continuing to contract. So it doesn't stop once the calf comes out and the involution, the healing of the uterus is already beginning. And what you see on the outside is the placenta hanging from the cow or being passed. So three sequential stages of calving, um, things that occur on the inside are reflected on the outside. I'd have to say that in some cases, for example, uh, in older cows, calving can occur very quickly and difficult to differentiate the stages, whereas in heifers with much more prolonged calving, it can be much easier to see these distinct stages. You talk about uh, farmers being busy and, you know, these expanding herds and, you know, probably a consequence of this is that calving facilities are tight. So we have a combination of increasing herd sizes, but we also see an improvement in fertility and a higher number of cows within herds calving in a more concentrated period of time. When we talk about, think about calving facilities, when is the optimum time to put cows into the calving pen? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question in, in the current context, as you say, of the expanding herd. 
so first, going back to basics, the reason you'd move an animal into a calving pen is that if an animal calves outside of a calving area, for example, in the in the, a cubicle house, the likelihood of there being problems with that calf are much greater than if it's born in a calving area. So the first thing is in our indoor management systems, we do need to calve in a dedicated calving area. There are very good reasons why you would move. So first thing is you need to move. Um, you can kind of get around the movement question by not having the traditional move from a dry cow house into an individual calving pen, which is what we had traditionally on Irish farms. There's now been a move towards the North American model, which is dry cow accommodation, but moved to a group large straw bedded unit, what might be called the close up pen in North America, and have cows there for much longer than days, up to a week or two before calving. If that's used, then the pressure to move cows on the point of calving is much less. So design of facilities can influence whether we need to move or not. So if, if we look at the movement models, the traditional model was to move a cow from the dry cow accommodation into the calving unit at least two days before calving. And the reason for that was in the 24 to 48 hours pre-calving, all the changes that I discussed previously are occurring. And it's not a good time to move a cow when those changes are occurring. The other extreme is to wait until the cow is in stage two, which, is, which as we discussed, is actively calving and move her when she's actively calving. And then the other option is to move her when she's sick to calve. So that's, as we said before, when her tail is up, her pin bones are down, there's no sign of a calf. And that's when she's sick to calve. Of the options, the worst option is to move a cow when she's sick to calve. The reason is that if you move her at that sensitive phase during calving, you'd prolong the stage two of calving, the next phase, by up to half an hour. And that half an hour is critical to the calf's supply of oxygen inside in the cow. If it goes on for too long in a stressed position, you may lose the calf. So if you can move before calving occurs at all, if you are late, wait until the cow is actively calving, and to get around the problem of moving, provide a group calving accommodation for cows at calving with perhaps a side crush or calving pen that you can move them into when you need to assist. So the model of moving a calving is changing. And all of this, I should say, is far more important for the heifer than for the older cow. The heifer actively displays signs of calving stress due to movement, which the older cow may not. So key for heifers. And then looking to another aspect of um, of calving and back to what we spoke about earlier in terms of, you know, a, a lot a, a lot of heifers are assisted and, and, and not as many cows. But, you know, people have different thoughts on when it's appropriate to intervene um, and assist a cow at calving. What is your guidance on that, John? Yeah, it's, it's a critical question every farmer is facing now for the next two months. Um, when they go into the calving pen, they see a heifer or a cow that's calving, whether to intervene, and if so, when, and then ultimately how. Um, the, the principle should be that it's, it's the cow's job to calve. Calving isn't a disease. It's just our job to supervise it and ensure that it occurs successfully. 
So that's the basic principle we should apply. Um, so, so I would generally advise that the first time you go in to a calving pen and see an animal that's calving, um, do an exploratory check. So just check at this stage, um, is the calf presented correctly? So that you can pick up early, this calf is coming backwards, for example. Um, is this calf alive? So if the calf is already dead, then you approach the calving differently. Um, is there any sign of distress in the calf that it might be weakening? So, so these are all the things I would advise doing as a, a check, not an assistance. And based on what you find, then decide what you'll do next. So cases where you might intervene early would be a, a, a breech calving. You go up to the cow, she's been calving for quite some hours, nothing is coming out. You, you put a glove on, lubricate, put your hand in, and you find that you feel the tail of the calf. This is a breech calving. This is not a calving to leave and give time to. This is a calving to intervene early with. Another example might be intertwined twins. You can't work out which leg is which. I mentioned uterine inertia, a cow that's making no progress at all during calving. A case where you look at the water bag and you see that rather than the egg white translucent fluid, there's actually blood in it. That's a bad sign. Or there's been no progress at all. Nothing has come out. Could there be a uterine torsion? So they're all cases where um, you'd suggest you need to intervene early. On the other side of the coin, there are cases where you shouldn't be intervening early. So when you go to check the calf, the croobs are really big. And this is an indicator that there'll be a big head, big shoulders and big hips. So that's not a calving to rush into. Or it could be when you put your gloved lubricated hand in, particularly in heifers, that the vulva is extremely tight. You can't pass your hand in over the head of the calf at all. This needs time. Or looking at the heifer, you can see she's in over condition. She's conditioned called four plus and she's extremely small. She was bred too small. So they're all risk factors that if you rush in, you're going to tear the heifer, possibly damage the calf, and she may be down afterwards. So they're general guidelines on what you might do. If we take it that most calvings are not problem calvings, they're quite normal. So in a normal calving where the calf isn't coming backwards and there isn't a set of twins, it's just a normal calving. The guidelines I'd use is two hooves two hours, which means basically, if you've seen two hooves at the vulva, no heifer or cow should still be calving two hours later without you monitoring it very carefully. It doesn't mean you have to leave it till two hours, but it shouldn't be longer than two hours. And if we kind of break it down into heifers and cows, heifers will naturally take a bit longer than cows. So for a heifer to be calving for an hour to two hours is quite normal. Whereas for a cow, calving about an hour is normal. And after that, it's getting a bit long. So there are kind of guidelines on when you might consider, should I be checking to intervene? And through AHI, we've surveyed Irish farmers about their assistance protocols. And about half of farmers assist after an hour and about a third then assist after two hours. So 80% of farmers assist cows um, before they get to two hours of calving. So they're general guidelines. And I should emphasize, 
every calving every calving circumstance is unique so it is dangerous to apply generic rules to a particular calving so they're purely guidelines and john the, the vet is you know a, an integral part of farms and you know even more so um at this time of year when is it appropriate to get that additional help from the vet uh, absolutely. The, the, the vet is a key part of the management team going through the calving season and should be prior to the calving season in the preparation for that season. But there will still be the emergency calls for the vet is required. So the, the main ones will be, um, as I've mentioned, a malpresentation. So, so a calf coming in some way that there's something wrong with the presentation. This could be um, one of the legs is back, a leg and a head is back. And there are two twins and both of them are presented together. Uh, the calf is coming backwards. The calf is coming backward with one leg down or both legs down. So they're all malpresentations that, um, particularly if the calf is already alive and there's a skill in detecting that it is alive, then an early call to the vet is about saving the calf, not spending a lot of time unsuccessfully trying to correct the malpresentation, having a dead calf, and then calling the vet to correct the malpresentation on a dead calf. So that's a key one. The next one is, uh, and people who do DIY AI would be quite familiar with handling cows, where the cervix is not dilated. There's something odd about it. It could be a torsion, maybe just a slow calving, but she's not opened up at all. It could be that the calf is just way too big. You, you can judge it by looking at the size of the croobs and the head of the calf. This will not come out. Um, and we did have during the Schwellenberg the deformed calves, and they still occur. So these are calves that, that in some way are abnormal and very difficult to get out. And then, of course, occasionally there'll be calves that are already dead in utero before the calving began, extremely difficult to get out because often the birth fluids are gone, they're very dry. Um, they may require a vet. And, and as a general guideline, um, if you're unsure or don't have help with you, and particularly where the calf is now alive, it's better to make an early call than to muddle through, hope you'll get through it and end up with a dead calf. And the, the, the benefits a vet brings to a calving are fairly obvious. One, they spend their time calving cows. On a hundred cow herd, you may calve five difficult calvings in a year. A vet may do that in a night. So, so they bring experience. They also bring skills. So, so they may, for example, need, may need to do an episiotomy, which is cutting the vulva in a particular way to enlarge the passage. That they, they have particular techniques, even in using a calving jack that you may not have. And at the extreme, of course, they may have to cut up the calf to get it out. And at the very extreme, then they may have to do a C-section. So, so they bring added value rather than cost to a calving, particularly if you make the key decision at the right time you get best value for the benefit of the vet. And just, I guess, a point um, as we conclude, John, can you make a comment on health and safety from your perspective and, and your experience around calving? You know, what should farmers be really alert to? You know, we're getting tired now. There's been a, a, almost a month of, you know, intense calving on farms. What should we stay alert to? Yeah, it's, it's, it's often forgotten and it's a key point to bring up. And when you say my personal experience, when I was younger, on many occasions, I had to jump the bars of a gate to get away from a heifer. As you get older, you won't jump those bars anymore. 
So we know that a third of farm debts approximately are associated with livestock. And in this context for us today, the key livestock here are heifers at calving. And of farmers that are affected by these problems, the majority are older farmers over 65. So you can see the issues, as you said, of tiredness and of physical frailty, perhaps at that age, that you're not as agile as you were. So they're the key risk people at calving. So what can you do about it? Um, we all know the calving season is coming around every year, so we can build in preventive measures. So the most simple is build an escape passage into every calving unit. So that means you're not jumping bars or gates, you're not trying to open gates, you're slipping out through the gates without the cow being able to follow you. The second point is we often go in to assist at a calving and all we're interested in is getting the calf out. And we don't have any interest in securely restraining the heifer at that point. And then as things progress, we focus more on the calf and we forget all about the heifer and the fact that she's free in the pen. So securely restraining the heifer means that she can't go for you when the problem occurs. So that's the preventative aspects. Then if we try to reduce the risk, we'll all have to get into a pen with a heifer at some point. We'll be on our own. It'll be at night. So the first thing to do is never turn your back on the heifer. So if you're going to check, is it a bull or a heifer calf, to tag the calf, to do its navel, always do that facing the heifer. And the second point is when you're handling the calf, as you will have to, always keep the calf between you and the heifer so that she doesn't feel you're taking the calf away from her. So, so that reduces her stress level and changes her behavior. And then if you're in the unfortunate circumstance where it's too late, you've been attacked, you've had an assault but by a heifer inside in a pen, you need to have your mobile and you need to have your mobile phone on you, not hanging in your jacket outside the calving pen. It needs to be on you. And then at worst, you need to have your air code because you may unfortunately need it. So there's something you can do before the calving season ever begins, and then you can react appropriately to prevent the problem getting worse or to deal with it when it actually happens. I think that's a, that's some some really good advice, John. And I think we, we've covered a huge amount throughout this conversation. Um, to, just to sum up maybe your top three tips on how farmers can ensure successful calving seasons. I, I suppose I, I'd break it down into three things. The first thing is um, if you tend to be impatient at calving and we're all different, um, I'd advise practicing what I call watchful waiting. So, so watching what's happening, but waiting. If on the other side, you tend to lose calves because you're too slow to go in at calving, perhaps consider getting some kind of a calving monitor, a calving alarm or a CCTV system that'll alert you to when you might need to assist at calving. When we come to the actual assistance, a simple term I use is use as little as possible but as much as necessary. It's a fine balancing act, but that should be your guiding principle. And then the last tip I'd give is that dead calves don't drink colostrum. So the first five minutes of the calf's life determines whether it'll survive or not. And your skills in preventing having a weak calf, or if you have a weak calf, being able to resuscitate that weak calf is the difference between needing to give the colostrum one, two, three within the first hour of birth. 
If you don't get to that point, there's no need for your bee stings. That's great. Thank you, John. Thank you, Emma Louise. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to John Mee for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.